On today's episode, we're talking all about uterine fibroids, some of the most common reasons for fibroids, solutions that can help you prevent or reduce fibroids, and how to prevent hysterectomies. We're also talking about risk factors. If you do have to have a full or partial hysterectomy, things that you should know in terms of how to support your health post-op. And we hope that you find this information beneficial and valuable. If so, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share the show. Live your life within the moment, moment. And don't go wait until the morning, morning. You never know when it is over, over. All that I know is we'll get older. Welcome back. It is November 2023. Wow. Good. Yeah. Elections are next week. Man, Thanksgiving right around the corner. Then it is Christmas time, which I'm very excited about. I know. Nick was talking about what we should get the kids. And he just starts like rattling crap off. He's like, I think we should probably get Carson a new TV. We should probably get him like that electric bike. I was like, I'm sorry, whose bank account are you looking at? That where this is all coming from? Like, it's like a thousand dollars right there. Are you serious? Uh, and that's only one kid, you know? You got right? Oh my God. Oh. Taylor what christmas is like well so right now um marcus has been really into legos with my husband i don't know if it's marcus as much as it's art probably um but he's been finding different uh lego sets off of ebay um to build you know and i'm just like okay i think the two that you got is great also i looked at him last night because now i mean you know my son is very He's very smart. He knows like the next thing he needs is the fire station because we've gotten the police station and we've gotten the airport. Now we need a fire station because of what happens if there's a fire right at the airport. So I'm like, that's fantastic. Um, Christmas is in two months. You need to save money. And then he always tells me he's going to go, you know, get money out of his pay. I have money, but, but you're not allowed to take from the pig, you know? So it's like, that fine line of this is fun, but let's also slow it down. You just got a Star Wars ship that you guys built too. So save something for Christmas. Carson frequently cries at Target because I don't let him buy a toy every single time we go there. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I also, so I made mini blueberry muffins this weekend because I was like, the kids love mini muffins. Those, but those are trash. Like the, it's just, those are, there's zero benefit to those mini muffins that come in the little pack although delicious. And so I made blueberry mini muffins and I was like, oh, perfect. I'll give these to the kids in the morning. They, they have Greek yogurt in them. Like they, they still tasted good, but just a little bit better ingredients. And I gave one to Carson and he started crying and spit it out and was like, I don't like this. And I was like, great. This is the complete opposite reaction that I was hoping for. So then Nick and I have been eating them. I'm just like, I can't. <laughs> my privileged <laughs> child. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because their palates, you know, they know when something is not the same. Like, for example, we changed chicken nuggets um, and this is not the same, but oh my goodness. The, the good news is we're the one that buys the grocery and eventually they'll get over it and forget about it. But oh my Lanta. So this week, I think we're continuing the conversation of inflammation and, you know, things that can uh, really wreak havoc on your body, especially as a female. And this is something, you know, I was actually finishing up a course last week. I messaged uh, Becca about like the stats on 
hysterectomies are wild. Um, and so today we're going to talk about uterine fibroids, um, because I know that many women that we work with, I think you probably hear this more from your following on uh, Instagram and whatnot, but they have dealt with them. Maybe it's, you know, cyst or it's endometriosis, PCOS. Um, and, you know, typically they get to some point where the doctor is saying, let's do a, a hysterectomy, partial, full ablation, something along those lines. But there's so many things that you can do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's so yeah. sexy. Yeah, very sexy. Crazy statistic. One in three women in their lifetime will get a hysterectomy. One in three. That's insane. And a lot of them tend to happen a little bit more around like the 40s, 50s. But most situations are totally preventable. And what's even scarier is when you actually dive into it, um, there's a lot of like personal accounts of females that, that were not told what their options were. And even situations where when the doctors were in there doing surgery, they removed parts of their body without consent, essentially. So like they felt it was necessary to remove more than what was discussed once they were in there. And unfortunately, you know, those are the tools they have. You know, surgery and birth control and antidepressants are like the most commonly applied forms of resolution per se on female issues, which is just really sad because there's a lot of other options. And I think that getting a partial hysterectomy is kind of like, well, yeah, sure. Let's, I have horrible periods. Like that's a lot of the reason why people have hysterectomies are menstrual regularities. And a lot of this stuff in most situations are they can be reversed to an extent and also preventable. So we want to talk about today, like what are uterine fibroids? How can you know if you are dealing with them? Because unless they get really, really large, a lot of people don't know they have them. Um, and so we want to talk about what drives them and how you can kind of catch things per se before they get really bad uh, and you can start taking action. So uterine fibroids are basically a non-cancerous tumor growth in or on the muscular wall of the womb. That can cause things like really heavy bleeding because they can also rupture, um, abdominal pain. They can cause nausea for some people, pelvic prolapse, infertility, miscarriages, uh, some other like, I, I would guess you could say less severe symptoms, difficulty emptying of the bladder or frequent urination because be, when they grow on the outside of the wall, they can push on other organs. Uh, constipation is really common, uh, pelvic pressure or pain. And current research has shown that fibroid tumors are a symptom of estrogen dominance and can be prevented and even reversed through a healthy lifestyle. So even though most fibroids are asymptomatic, they are still the most common reason for hysterectomy. And the problem is that small fibroids, which are obviously much easier to treat, are not as easily detectable. And they grow larger and larger. And we tend to see menstrual bleeding increase when this happens pain increase dramatically. They can even grow so big that they press on surrounding organs like bladder and kidneys. They can some some have grown as large as grapefruits, which is very large if you think about it in terms of like extra tissue in the body in that region. Our core region has a lot of organs very close together. Um, and just a statistic to understand like 80% of women will develop fibroids in their lifetime. And obviously, you know, a decent amount of that percentage are smaller fibroids, but still eight out of 10 women will develop fibroids. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just pulled up some of the stats just around hysterectomies. Um, so I know you mentioned like one in three, which is crazy, but let's wrap our head around this. So approximately 600,000 hysterectomies are performed every year in the United States. That is second in line, according to the CDC, second in line to the most frequently performed surgical procedure after cesarean C-sections in the United States and 45% of females undergoing a hysterectomy in their lifetime. Really wild. You know, I think there's definite, like you mentioned, there are certain times where this is medically necessary, right? If it's an invasive cancer or unmanageable bleeding or infections, or obviously serious complications during childbirth. But if there's so much that we can do through what you mentioned before, preventing and reversing through a healthy lifestyle, maybe looking at our hormones, maybe looking at how the body's detoxifying things, getting to some of the underlying root cause issues. I personally wouldn't want to have to go through that process because what we see on the flip side of this is, you know, a lot of symptoms that occur afterwards that people just didn't know, you know, were going to become an issue. Um, and so when we think about what causes fibroids, right, there can definitely be a genetic component. There can be a hormonal component, biological and environmental factors. Maybe that has to do with inflammation. Um, and, you know, some of, of these factors, um, you know, estrogen is particularly critical because fibroids are estrogen dependent. So there are some, you know, basically that as you go through your menstrual cycle, you may have some of those smaller ones that will rupture or you will, you know, clear them out. Um, obviously it's going to be a big issue when those things get to that grapefruit size, right? And it's much worse for some people. No pre-puberty cases have ever been reported um, and they tend to decline or regress after menopause when we no longer have estrogen in considerable amounts. So when we think about estrogen, I mean, this it rises and there's a dominant follicle that's selected that has the most estrogen, but estrogen causes the buildup of our uterine lining. That's one of its main functions to prepare the body for conception, right? And, and pregnancy. And then progesterone comes in and helps, you know, maintain that pregnancy. So we always almost see a high outright estrogen or high estrogen in comparison to lower progesterone levels. So again, this may not be detected in blood work because blood work is something that is not done at the right times of the month for the majority of people. When we're looking at things like estrogen, um, LH, FSH, right? Progesterone, there's specific timing for all of those. And a lot of times when we have people coming in with blood work, I'll ask them, Hey, what day of your cycle or what phase of your cycle were you in? They have no clue. I was just at the OBGYN's office and they said, Hey, let's test blood work. Well, not to mention it's only one moment in time. And so you may not even catch that estrogen, you know, high uh, because it's just that small snapshot. And there's all these different surges that happen, um, you know, throughout the days and different times of the month. So again, when we look at blood work, we're either looking, or excuse me, hormones, uh, we are either looking at saliva or we're looking at urine. And the biggest thing that I think it's really important when it comes to this conversation around estrogen is to understand that there are three types of estrogen, and then there's ways that your body is able to utilize and clear out. You, you, you utilize it, meaning you metabolize it, and then you clear it out. And sometimes it is a case of either aromatation from testosterone, or it is a case of outright estrogen dominance, and the person is just not clearing it out, and they need some support to bring that down. 
Um, and it could be a case where it's not a PCOS, right? Um, clear cut, or it's not endometriosis, but relative to progesterone, this would be, you know, more of an estrogen dominance uh, scenario that you're going to see fibroids. And there's other risk factors too, that I think are really important. Um, there are same risk factors as endometriosis actually. And so some of these also have to do with why estrogen might be elevated in the body, impaired or sluggish liver, right? Again, that clearance, this is where we can get into other conversations about methylation, sulfation, you know, different detoxification things that have to happen. Um, blood sugar imbalance, chronic inflammation, hormone imbalance, right? Are we looking at a full picture here? Are we looking at your androgens? Are we looking at your progesterone, different, you know, estrogens? Are we just looking at estradiol on blood work? And I think that's important because a lot of people just don't know this. And sometimes we've had clients where we've recommended, Hey, take this Dutch test to your doctor. Here's a, a case uh, Becca and I reviewed together uh, a few months ago. So she's post-menopause on hormone replacement therapy, bleeding, not normal, right? Her estrogens are at a dangerously high rate um, and she wasn't clearing them out. And even on blood work, you know, we sent some follow-up uh, there and she's still high, um, you know, for her estrogen. And so for her, it's this massive hormonal imbalance situation but it's also a liver and impaired detoxification situation because if she can't clear it out, where does it go? It goes back in line to get recirculated in the body. And so these are things that are really, really important and we're really passionate about. I know, you know, Becca, especially with the hormone piece, because she's dealt with a lot of this, you know, personally. Um, and we see just how this can be debilitating to women and their symptoms because that's hormones are your vibrancy. Right. And then if you pile in our toxic world that we live in and all of the endocrine disruptors that we have and estrogen mimicking chemicals, that could also be a very big contributor to uterine fibroids. Yeah. Just some other quick ones. Birth control is shown to be contributing because uh, birth control also impacts the vitamins that are needed for methylation and detoxification of the liver. Um, it depletes, research shows it depletes those B vitamins. Uh, gut dysbiosis is huge because the gut is a major part of detoxification of excess estrogen. Uh, vitamin D deficiency has been correlated with a lot of issues, including uterine fibroids and a pro-inflammatory diet. And so what I want to talk about is if you don't have noticeable fibroids yet, right? Like some people, when they get really bad, you're going to notice them. but in that like subclinical, I would say situation, what does estrogen dominance look like? Because if you're dealing with major estrogen dominance, it may just be a matter of time because estrogen dominance we know is a big contributor. So estrogen dominance for a lot of women looks like bad PMS. You might have extreme moodiness. You might have irritability, obviously really heavy periods. Um, infertility is another big one. Uh, estrogen dominance is strongly correlated with infertility. Uh, hot flashes, fatigue, cervical dysplasia, decreased libido, weight gain, headaches, again, heavy bleeding, depression, thyroid issues, estrogen. We've done podcasts on this before in terms of how estrogen and thyroid interplay with each other. Uh, typically, we'll see this with hypothyroidism. So if you have many of those symptoms, it is safe to say that you are at a higher risk level for potentially developing uterine fibroids that could become a dangerous place. And I would even dare to say that the surge of estrogen dominance in our current society 
comes largely from the overuse and exposure to chemicals and preservatives. So these are known as xenoestrogens. We've, again, done a lot of podcasts on this, but xenoestrogens mimic the effects of true estrogen and interact with our cellular receptor sites. So your hormones are messengers. And if you think about it, the cells that are kind of hearing those messages, if you are getting those blocked by xenoestrogens and they cannot experience the effects of true estrogen, then you have an issue. There's some miscommunications going on. And also to make matters worse, these endocrine disruptors lodge themselves in fat cells where they are resistant to breakdown. And a big part of this is your body's inherent intelligence because it is dangerous for these toxins and chemicals to be in your bloodstream. So where is it safest for them to go? In your fat cells. And so this is these are called obesogens. It's a concept of basically certain toxins and chemicals that can raise obesity rates because your body will create additional fat cells to store these toxins. And then it makes it harder for them to be broken down. So many of these chemicals also act in a synergistic effect when combined with other chemicals and endocrine disruptors. And this kind of synergistic process exponentiates their effects. So it enhances their effects because the body, you know, cannot tolerate that. And it causes major issues at the cellular level. So the most common sources of these endocrine disruptors include something called CAFOs, conventionally raised cattle and chickens. Um, So this is why we always recommend buying organic, pasture-raised, grass-fed, plastic and canned goods, personal care products, oral contraceptives. Like I talked about, the main issue here is that birth control depletes a lot of the things that we need to help detox. Pharmaceuticals, antidepressants, antibiotics, sleep aids, PPIs, all have major detrimental effects on the gut microbiome. Food additives, styrofoam, laundry and dishwasher detergents. Uh, We love our Topanga scents, by the way. I am obsessed with how my laundry smells. Um, Household cleaners and air fresheners, you know, all of of the things that make our house smell amazing. Sure, do I have a couple of toxic candles laying around? I might. But it's the accumulation effect of all of these things. You know, if you are someone like Liz and I that I'm going to keep getting my nails done because it makes me happy. I look elsewhere. Where else can I pull back the exposure level to these things? You know, we have air fresheners. I'm sorry, air fresheners. We have air purifiers in our house. We have, you know, water filtration systems in our house. All of those are very helpful to lower your toxic load. So in terms of solutions for, you know, estrogen exposure, we've used the Yuka app, Y-U-K-A. Uh, It's a great app for scanning products when you're out and about. Like for me, I did it the other day for scanning my uh, makeup remover wipes because I was like, I'm not good at washing my face and I can use these, but a lot of them were not great. And I found one that was. So I use that app because I don't want to look on the back, nor do I have the knowledge off the top of my head, what chemicals I should be avoiding and which I should not. So I love that app for that. Um, And then, you know, following people on Instagram, that's a great place to start. Like people that have that knowledge, Liz and I try to share as much as possible um, about the products that we have switched to the Frey skincare, you know, Thrive Market has a lot of great products. So minimizing your xenoestrogen exposure is number one. Yep. And then we want to think about your diet again. So you guys have followed us for a long time, maybe, or you're new to the podcast. 
we always recommend a fiber-rich Mediterranean-based diet. So this is where you're going to have a lot of fruits and vegetables, wild-caught proteins full of amino acids, good fatty acids from things like coconut, avocado, olive oil, right? All of those things are some supportive of adrenals, um, but also building your hormones. Um, and so if you're somebody who's like, well, I really try to eat healthy. Um, I would again, encourage you to write down what you're eating and how much fiber you're getting. Fiber is really important for removing toxins from the body, helping with estrogen, um, you know, detoxification. Here we think of things like flax seeds and pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds, and all of those things can be supportive. But then you can look for, you know, a lot of other fibrous sources from berries or, you know, pears, apples, grapefruits. Um, and again, looking at the quality of your proteins. Is this organic grass-fed wild-caught fish as much as you possibly can? There's a new box that I want to try that's called Ocean Box. Um, I haven't ordered it yet, but I plan to because it's all wild-caught um, seafood. And I personally struggle to find good quality wild-caught seafood here. Whole Foods is like 40 minutes from my house, and that's where I like to get you know some things. But um, all of these things are going to be supportive of lowering inflammation, stabilizing blood sugar levels, supporting healthy pH of the body, stomach acid, right? Reducing the toxic load overall. Then we think about gut health and motility. If you follow me on social media, you know, I'm always talking about moving your bowels one to three times a day. Estrogen dominance. If we look at how your body excretes estrogen, one of the main ways is via bowel movements. Okay. And so when all of this is sitting in your colon, if you are constipated, it's going to go back into line to the liver and get recirculated. Additionally, if, for example, you have a GI map done, we see a high level of something called beta-glucuronidase. This is something that will just let estrogen essentially kind of run free in the body because beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme that reduces the liver's ability to detoxify um, things. And it'll allow, again, those estrogen metabolites and other toxins to re-enter the bloodstream, go back in line, placing more of a burden on your liver. Um, so that's going to be really important that you are moving your bowels one to three times a day. You also want to focus on your oral hygiene. So I think this is really big. A lot of people don't understand that one, I mean, your mouth is the entry point, right? When we think about nose to tail, for example, um, yes, your sinus microbiome is an extension of your gut microbiome, the same with your oral microbiome. So here is where, you know, we want to maintain proper dental hygiene. You can do oil pulling very simply. You just, you can use um, a solution. I'm blanking on the name, but there's an oxygenated O3 solution that we like, or you can just use coconut oil and you can look this up online. Oil pulling is going to be very antibacterial, antimicrobial, um, help keep a good balance within your oral cavity. Um, and then, you know, obviously making sure that you're maintaining good oral hygiene. I would say tongue scraping is really important here, the type of toothpaste that you're using. So we recommend something like um, a dental siden or a silver toothpaste. Um, there's a few of them that we've talked about before uh, with one of the dentists that we had on our podcast. But, you know, getting away from fluoride essentially um, is going to be really helpful. And if you do have a lot of dental work done, Thinking about, you know, amalgam fillings, getting all that mercury and lead out of your mouth and getting some of those things swapped out. 
If you've had a root canal done, checking um, to see if there's any infections there. Uh, we do see this sometimes on the GI map. If there's bacteria um, that's coming from that oral cavity, a lot of times, at least in my clinical experience, usually about eight out of 10, my client will say, oh yeah, I have had a root canal but you don't maybe feel that there's an infection there, right? Because that nerve is dead. So making sure that you're having frequent scans done or checks of that, uh, if you've had any oral surgery or root canals it would be important as well. Yep. And then hydration. Water is most of our body weight. Uh, we need water to help the lymphatic system flow, to help blood flow, to help get things out of the body. So water is huge. Anti-estrogenic foods, things like cruciferous vegetables, raw nuts and seeds, garlic, onion, turmeric, ginger, parsley, dandelion root tea, all things are great to help with balancing estrogen down. Balancing blood sugar. So poor blood sugar will lead to insulin elevation and cortisol elevation. Both of these cause release of estrogen. So these factors also cause deficiencies in vitamin C, magnesium, B6, some signs of insulin resistance, trouble losing weight, frequent thirst or urge to pee, tired after meals, crave sweets after meals, acne, skin tags are huge, high blood pressure, triglycerides. So even though you might not have outright type 2 diabetes yet, all of those are basically trending towards insulin resistance. Omega-3 fatty acids are very helpful. So uterine fibroids are associated with inflammation. Uh, we've talked about EPA, DHA. These help reduce inflammation, pain and regulate hormone production. And then magnesium. Uh, magnesium is, you know, a superpower nutrient. It helps with uterine fibroids because we see a lot of women with uterine fibroids actually have low levels of magnesium due to estrogen dominance. Menstruation can further deplete magnesium. So it supports over 300 physiological processes or functions within the body. It is a master mineral and it plays an important role in regulating hormone levels. You can start a little bit lower, 400 to 500 milligrams a day. You can updose all the way to five milligrams per pound of body weight. So we love magnesium citrate. That's kind of the most universal uh, in terms of support, but magnesium is, is very helpful. And so when it comes to hysterectomies, we want to finish with just some information on them because again, it might seem like the best option. And in some cases, it may be the best option. But uterine fibroids being the number one cause or the number one reason for hysterectomies, some may be justified when they get really, really large. But we want to talk about some side effects of hysterectomies, some things that I think a lot of people just don't have communicated to them um, so that you can make the best decision for your health. Yeah. And this is something that aligns with our values of informed consent. We've talked a lot about having your gallbladder removed, right? And things that your doctors just simply don't tell you, um, things that can happen down the line. So there was a 2018 cohort study that evaluated 2,100 females who have hysterectomies with ovarian preservation for benign indications. And this study was done between 1980 and 2002 amongst those 2,100 females. And what it demonstrated is, is that hysterectomy is associated with an increased long-term risk of cardiovascular and metabolic conditions, such as hyperlipidemia, diabetes, obesity, cardiac arrhythmias, coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, and stroke, especially in females who undergo hysterectomies below the age of 35. 
the loss of these vital organs catapults females into a much higher risk for cardiovascular disease, stroke, and osteoporosis. With nearly 400,000 deaths among women in 2018 caused by heart disease and stroke. We also think about sexual changes, loss of libido, altered sensitivity in the pelvic region, a decreased sexual enjoyment, um, you know, is another common complaint that uh, people who've had hysterectomies experience. And then we also want to think about bladder problems. So with hysterectomies, there's typically more UTIs, infections, incontinence, um, and just urinary uh, frequency issues as well. And so we want to bring that to light today because these are things that people are just not having the conversation around, um, you know, what are the long-term impacts on my body? And if I do choose to go this route, because it is medically necessary, what are the things that I need to be doing to support my body? So in the case of osteoporosis, for example, right, we're thinking about vitamins, minerals, cofactors, um, the appropriate types of training and exercise to stress the muscle, to stress, um, your bones to support bone remodeling and rebuilding. Uh, and you know, again, when we think about estrogen, estrogen is important. Uh, and so potentially there may be some estrogen support, be it that you're taking natural herbal agents, um, or that you're taking, you know, hormone replacement therapy because estrogen is protective, but it needs to be, you know, at the right levels. And sometimes they just come in, take everything out, wipe it all out. You're forced into this early onset menopause and it's miserable. We have ladies all the time who say, you know, I'm in my forties, my hair is falling out. I have no energy. I have no libido. I can't sleep at nighttime, right? Like progesterone is really, really important here as well, especially when we think about someone's day-to-day experience of how they, um, you know, how their hormones uh, manifest. So we don't say this to scare you. We want you to know that if you've had a hysterectomy, there's still a lot of things that you can do to support your body. There's still a lot of things that you can do to prevent, right? Osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, right? And a lot of that's going to come back to the foundations of health and then potentially supplementing in different ways to support what now is lost. Mm -hmm. And that uh, just a quick rundown, even though you've had, if you've had a partial hysterectomy, you, you can still ovulate. You can still have technically a cycle. You're just not going to bleed. So I tell people if they had a partial hysterectomy, track your cycles as much as you can in terms of like symptoms. And you can look at body temperature increases and things like that. Um, Cause then you can see what other symptoms might be present aside from the bleed. Keep your fiber really high. Teas like red raspberry leaf or yarrow tea are great during, you know, heavier flows or cramping pain. Um, increasing omega-3s, seed cycling, vitamin D levels are very important. Move your body. And then all the things that we talked about in terms of supplementation. Um, so those are just some tips if you've had a hysterectomy in ways that you can support your body. Because again, probably part of the underlying cause of why you got that hysterectomy is what we just talked about with estrogen dominance. So all of the same things that you can do apply, even if you've had one. 